Well, I'm uh, excited to be able to be with you all this morning, and before we step into this series, we want to stop and uh, have a special time of prayer. I uh, want to pray for a little guy named Sawyer Weidman, and uh, Sawyer uh, was born at 25 weeks old uh, just a couple of days ago, and, uh, and he's uh, right at two pounds, and uh, this is actually the son of Austin and Shannon Weidman. Austin is the son of Eric and Tanya Weidman, and Eric is the son of uh, Leon and Sherry Weidman. So we know this family. We love this family. Uh, this little guy was rushed to um, Big Mercy, as they say, St. John's and uh, Mercy in St. Louis. He's had two brain bleeds uh, in the last little bit. And, uh, and it, we're, we're just going to pray that God will work a miracle and that, uh, you know, they see kindergarten and, you know, high school graduation and marriage and, and just keep saying all those times, man, just think of where it all started and how, what God did, okay? So let's, let's pray together. I'm going to ask you, where, where is the Weidman family? Okay, Leon's back there in the back. I know Eric and Tanya are in the room as well. Okay, they're up top. So they're all up top. If any of you feel led and you're near them, if you want to gather around and just place a hand on them for support, uh, that would be great. I don't know if there's anything worse than seeing your kids hurt. And Eric and Tanya are seeing their kiddos hurt bad. And, uh, and they're hurting. And same way with Leon and Sherry. You know, just, uh, boy, this is, a, this is a dire situation. So we're going to pray, okay? So let's all uh, join together and agree and uh, pray right now. Father, we say uh, thank you for being a God that promises that if two or more gather together in your name, you are in our midst. And God, this morning, we don't have to say, God, will you be with us? You've already promised us you're here, and we know that you're here. And uh, Father, we pray, uh, knowing that you're almighty and there's nothing you cannot do. And God, in our limited wisdom, our limited knowledge, we're just people here, we want to beg you for Sawyer to pull through and to live a great, long life right here. We want to ask you for that miracle. And Father, you can examine every fiber of my being. I am 100% convinced you can because you're God. And Father, we know that. We know you can. And Father, nothing will happen because of our great faith. It'll be because of who we put our faith in, and that's you. But God, we all join together and say, Father, you can do this. This baby can get good news even right now. And Father, we pray for your miracle, your hand. God, I pray doctors would be mesmerized. And I know this family. They'll shout you from the mountaintops. And so, Father, put comfort on hearts right now. God, where there's no understanding, God, just bring some way, somehow, your peace that only you can do. But God, we pray for a miracle right now. We love you. God, we trust you. Thank you for the Weidman family. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you all. And continue to pray for Sawyer um, and for the entire family. Pray for mom and dad. Again, that's uh, Austin and Shannon. We really want to lift them up to you. Um, 
Well, uh, here's what we're doing. We're in a series called This Is Us. And as you guys know, we began this series on New Year's Eve on uh, December 31st. And what we did was uh, the first four weeks of that, we, the four pastors that had the privilege of kind of being on the teaching rotation, uh, had the privilege to be able to share our story, our testimony. Now, all of our pastors are vital and all of you are, are vital and all of our stories are important. But we had the privilege as your pastoral team that, that's on the teaching team to share our story. Uh, after that, we did This Is Us with missions. And then we started just a couple of weeks ago talking about the seven fundamental truths that the Ridge Church is about. This is us. So this is us is all about who are we as the Ridge Church? What do we stand for? Uh, what are we about? And so uh, week one of those seven uh, you know, fundamental truths that we stand upon, we talked about a love relation with God, and that is key. That is everything. Amen? I mean, if we don't have that, we don't have anything at all. After that, we went uh, to family. We talked about family. Again, it's key. God, then family is next. It's our, our most important ministry here on earth. From there, we talked last week about the importance of attending worship like we're doing this morning here and the great benefit of that and, and, uh, and what the Bible says about that. And today, I'm going to talk to you just for a little while about the importance of being a part of a small group. Bible study. In other words, what we call Sunday school here or what we call our Wednesday night Bible studies or other Bible studies on different nights of the week. It doesn't always have to be at 930 on Sunday morning, but sometime during the course of the week to be plugged into a small group Bible study or a Sunday school class on Sunday is vitally important. And that's, that is what uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, I will say we have three more weeks of talking about these seven fundamental truths that we stand upon. Now next week, please be here because because it's going to be upward. That's going to be incredible. So we will bump from the series for that. We've got a guest speaker coming in March that I know you all are going to enjoy and the Lord's going to use. We have Easter coming in March, okay? Isn't that crazy? A little earlier than normal. And, uh, and so we'll end this series on April 7th, and then we're going to step into a series through the book of the Bible. Much like we did in the book of Revelation, we're going to be going through a series in the book of First Peter and then carry on through the book of Second Peter, uh, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're excited about that. But here we are talking this morning. This is us. Who are we as a church? And the importance of small group Bible study. So uh, what I want to do is I want to share with you four uh, just earth-shattering moments in the life of Joy and, my, and myself, my beautiful bride of a little over 30 years, things that we learned in small group Bible study, or at least with one other person that was pouring into us, that was earth-shattering for us for the rest of our life. And that moment, what we learned from God's Word was so incredibly profound, it literally changed the life of our kids. It changed the lives of what we pray will be our grandkids one day. And so uh, I'm going to hit those in four different places. We will not put the verse up just yet. The first one, and I'll call for it when it's time, is Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And if you want to turn there in your copy of God's Word, you can, but it will be on the screen here in just a short time. Joshua chapter 4 verses 20 through 24, and just an earth-shattering thing, a principle that changed our lives uh, forever. But first of all, the backstory in Joshua, as you know, in Joshua 1, uh, one of the greatest verses that many of us have committed to memory is that verse where God says to Joshua, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Say wherever you go. Say wherever you go. You know what that means? That means God is with us always. So a little shorter way to say it, say always. always. 
I'm telling you, on your best day and on your worst day, God is with you. On the day that you succeed and you follow him, on the days you blow it because of the blood of Christ being the only thing that gives us favor with God, he's still with us, amen? He's with us always. And basically what he's saying to this young guy named Joshua is this. Hey, buddy, listen, just like I was with Moses, I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna be there with you always. Then we go to chapter two and it's one of my favorite chapters, man. I'll tell you why. Because Joshua sends some spies out uh, to check out uh, the city of Jericho. And whenever they're out looking at the city of Jericho, they board at a home of a woman named Rahab. And Rahab was a harlot. She was a prostitute. They're boarding in her home. And the king of Jericho found out that uh, Joshua had some spies out checking out his territory. So he sent some soldiers to, to find these men and kill these men of Joshua's, right? And so they found out that they were, that they were boarding uh, there at, at Rahab's home. So they go to Rahab's house. They knock on the door. And something phenomenal takes place. You know the story. Rahab hides these men of God up on a rooftop behind some stalks of flax, goes down, answers the door, and lies. Here's what she said. They said, bring those men out to us. They're staying with you. We're going to kill them. And she said, no, actually, they were staying with me. They're not any longer. They left just before sun went down, right before we closed the city gate. Not sure which way they went. But if you hurry, you might be able to catch them. They take off. Meanwhile, you got the men of God hiding behind stalks of flax up on the rooftop with one big fat question in their mind. And the question was this, Rahab, why? Why in the world would you, of all people, I mean, even by her lifestyle, being a prostitute, they were probably scratching their head going, why would she want to preserve the life of men of God? And they're up behind these stalks of flax saying, why did you do this? And then she said, I believe it's in verse 10 of chapter two of the book of Joshua. The first four words is just incredible to me. She said, I'll tell you why. For we have heard, for we have heard. What does that mean? She said, I'll tell you why. For we have heard about your God. And everywhere you put your sandal, your God plus none is a majority, and you win every battle. It doesn't matter that we got you outnumbered, and it doesn't matter that we've got walls like you've never seen before and fortified cities and stuff like that. It doesn't matter because you guys are going to win because we've heard, for we have heard about your God. So before a shield was lifted, a sword was drawn, a spear was chucked, a rock was thrown, the battle was already won. The enemy was already defeated because they'd heard about their God. That leads me to chapter 3, a little more the backstory leading to chapter four that changed our lives in such a drastic way. Chapter three, verse five is where God said to Joshua, sanctify yourselves, get ready for battle. He said, sanctify yourselves for the Lord will do wonders among you. I'll say that again. Joshua three, five, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Say sanctify. sanctify. Say sanctify. So here's what God was saying to Joshua to say to the children of Israel. You go back to your tents and you get on your face before a holy God and say, God, remind me of any unconfessed sin in my life, any compromise, anything I'm holding on to, anything at all, and I'm going to repent of it right here. I'm going to turn it over to you because you promised if we sanctify ourselves tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among us. Just think of that biblical principles. It's the principles. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. And that's exactly what they did. You know what he did tomorrow? On the next day, all of a sudden, they were trying to cross over River Jordan, but they were crossing over River Jordan in flood stage. I've been to the Jordan River, and some of you have as well. You can swim it to bank to bank. As a matter of fact, there's some places where it's not even as wide as the Merrimack River is in some places. I grew up on the Merrimack, and I swam that thing from the time I was a kid to the time I was a young adult multiple times. And I can tell you, the Merrimack River is not a big deal. However, we've all seen it in flood stage a time or two, haven't we? 
Man, one time, whenever I was in my mid-20s, I was working construction in St. Louis, and I was driving my truck from Sullivan, where I grew up, across the Merrimack River in that big flat area, Eureka, and I clocked it on my odometer, and the Merrimack River in flood stage was one and one-tenth miles wide, over a mile wide. Try to swim that thing sometime. I probably told you this before. As a matter of fact, while I was driving by it, I saw this mobile home community that was completely underwater, and the only thing sticking out of the water was, uh, was this uh, neon sign, and it was still lit. And it was called Easy Living Trailer Park. I had my doubts, right? Okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, I never forget seeing that. I wish I'd, back in that day, I would have, today I would have taken out my cell phone. We didn't have, we would have had to actually get some film developed. You know what I'm saying? To take a picture of that. But I'm telling you, that thing was a monster. The river in flood stage. They're trying to get across the, the, the Jordan River in flood stage. And God said, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Okay? Here's the wonder he worked. An imaginary dam shot up by the city of Zaratan, the city of Adam. The water came rushing by, and they crossed over on dry land, much like they had the Red Sea. But God said, here's what I want you to do, Josh. You tell one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to pick up a stone from that dry riverbed while they're crossing over. And whenever you get on the other side, we're going to build a monument. And this is where Joy and I, in a small group Bible study, heard this and began to do something in our life that I'm telling you changed our lives. Listen to what it says. We'll put the verse up on the screen now. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. It says, and those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Now, here's the reason why. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land, and the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until we had crossed over, <coughs> excuse me, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So what's he saying? He's saying, build a monument to remember where and when God moves in your life. So what he's saying is this. <clears throat> in the future, whenever there's some Hebrew boys and girls that's out here playing on this riverbank, they're going to come up to a dad or a grandpa or somebody, a mom, whoever it may be, and they're going to say, okay, I got a big question for you. We can throw any rock we want to out in the middle of the Jordan River, except for those 12 over there. If we get within 50 feet of those 12, somebody's always going, no, 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 not those. Leave those alone. What's the big deal about those 12 stones? <clears throat> and then grandpa can pull that little child up on his lap and say, let me tell you a story of where and when God moved in your life. The moment we came across this passage in that light, Joy and I began to do something years ago. We got a couple shoe boxes, and every time God does something in our life that only, can only be explained by man, that was God. <clears throat> we take out an index card and an ink pen, we date it, we write a little sentence about it, and we throw it in the shoe box. Let me tell you why. You know, I can't speak for you, I can only speak for me. But I can tell you, I forget the power of God in my past. How dare I? But whenever he's asking us to do something that requires faith in the future, we go to the shoe boxes. <clears throat> and I can tell you that too often I forget the power of God. And we need to remember where and when God. Set up a monument to remember where and when God moves in, in your life. But here's the beauty. You know, every one of our kids, with the exception of Hannah, has come to me or to Joy at least one time and said, what's the deal with the shoe box? And you know what I got to do? 
I got to pull my little son, my little daughter up on my knee and open that shoebox and say, let me tell you a story of when and where God moved in your mom and my life. Let me tell you what he did this year. Well, let me tell you what he did on this particular day, on that particular month. And our kids were able to understand that from the get-go, our God is alive and well. He's powerful and he's almighty. It was an incredible thing. Once they came and said, what's the deal with the shoebox? Then they started coming back saying, okay, can you tell us some more stories? One of the sweetest things ever. I'm telling you, we need to remember where and when. And because of this small group, (coughs) and because of coming across this powerful text, and this book is full of that stuff, and it talks about everything about life. I mean, he'll speak to you in a way. I've read verses of scripture in this Bible that I've read 80 times, and for some reason on the 81st time I see an insight I've never seen before. Because it's what I needed on that day. But I want to encourage you to remember where and when God moved in your life. And whenever we came across that because of a small group Bible study, man, God burned that into Joy's heart and into my heart. Let's move to the next earth-shattering thing that we learned in a small group Bible study. Let me get a drink of water first. So, here we go. We won't bring the verse up just yet. Uh, But Hannah was born on July 2nd of 2001. She's our little gift with Down syndrome. Many of you have been praying for her for a long time because of acute leukemia that she's been battling, and she's doing great. But I can tell you, on that day, uh, we had not done any kind of pre-screening to see, you know, there's tests that you can do to see if your child, there's a, maybe a percentage chance that they're going to have Down syndrome whenever they're still in the womb. You can do that kind of test. I'm not saying, you know, don't. We just knew for us it, it wouldn't make, it make a difference. So she was born on July 2nd of 2001. And, uh, and on that day, our doctor who had delivered many, many, many babies at that point, he was one of our closest friends who traveled all over the world together. He's a godly guy, does a lot of mission clinics and, and uh, stuff like that. And so he said, you know, whenever I look at her at a certain angle, it makes me think that maybe she has Down syndrome. Now, she's high-functioning. She had all three creases in her palm, all the distinctives as a newborn baby she didn't have. Her heart was fine, different things like that. Uh, and, you know, again, whenever you look in the eyes of a newborn, the, the features just aren't distinct yet. And it's not like she's talking, like, about higher math or something as a newborn. You know what I'm saying? So we couldn't tell any kind of development there or anything like that. But Lou, our doctor, said, you know, I, I'm afraid that she does. And so a, a while later, we went in for a well care checkup, and they did the blood work. Normally, take back in those days, it would take 10 days to get the blood work in. Lou was leaving on vacation in eight days, said, I'm going to rush it because I want to be the one to tell you whether she has it or not. And here's what I did over those eight days. I looked in her beautiful little eyes, and I can't tell you how many times I said, she doesn't have Down syndrome. I would say to Joy, honey, she doesn't have Down syndrome. I mean, here's what's going to happen. They're going to tell us in eight days that she doesn't have Down syndrome. In those days, we were in full-time evangelism. I was probably preaching about 300 nights a year. And I said, I'm going to go to pulpit after pulpit after pulpit. And I'm going to say over and over and over, they thought our little girl had Down syndrome. We had an eight-day waiting period. We found out our little girl does not have Down syndrome. And our God is so faithful. I said, it's going to be incredible to tell that testimony no matter where we go. Okay? Well, the eight days passed. It was August 2nd of 2001. And uh, it was uh, 504 p.m. And I was sitting in a chair in the living room and the phone rang and that was the day we were expecting the call. And Joy came over to me and I picked up the phone and answered and she said, is it Lou? Does she have it? And she could tell by my facial expression that Hannah had Down syndrome. And my wife just melted. She just wept. Now my wife is very healthy. 
She circled the bases quick, being very honest with her emotions. Not me, I sweep it under the rug. So I was holding her saying, we're going to get through it. Six months later, she was holding me saying, we're going to get through it, because that's whenever I finally got honest with it, okay? Thank God we didn't both break down at the same time, I guess, but I can tell you that it was a difficult season. But I, I will never forget and the reason why I'll never forget is because suddenly now we look and we see what God has done. I'm telling you, he has used Hannah to change our lives profoundly, to change the lives of her siblings profoundly. We can't imagine life without, having Hannah, uh, without Hannah having Down syndrome. And, and I can tell you that Joy, once we found out that Hannah had Down syndrome, stepped into this season of blaming herself. Now, moms in this room will understand this. She'd carried this baby for nine months, and she keeps saying, what did I do while the baby was in the womb that she would have Down syndrome? Now, the truth is, there's nothing you can do. My wife was so immaculate whenever she was pregnant, she wouldn't even eat chocolate because it's got a smidge of caffeine in it. We wouldn't have had kids if that was a deal for me because I like chocolate more than I like our kids, okay? <laughs> Not really, but it's close. But anyhow, I can tell you, uh, she was just immaculate every time she carried one of her babies, and she kept blaming herself and kept blaming herself. What did I do? Now, we found out that the type of Down syndrome Hannah has is like 95% of the cases where there's nothing you can do to cause it, nothing you can do to prevent it. It happens at the moment of conception. It's like being struck by lightning. But it didn't matter how much the statistics told her that. She's going, what did I do? And then we came across John 9, 1 through 3. And I want you to listen to what it says in John chapter 9. Here's verse 1, okay? It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Hold on there just for a second. So we see the setting. Jesus is passing by, and he sees a man who is blind from birth, right? Now here is the natural response whenever somebody's going through a difficult time, somebody has an illness, somebody's blind from birth. Look at verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? Isn't it crazy? If we're not careful, whenever we see somebody in a difficult situation, we'll, we'll end up, end up going, oh my gosh, did one of us do something wrong? Is that what, God doesn't work that way. God does not cause children to have leukemia, and God does not cause people to be born blind. It came in with this thing called sin in the Garden of Eden, and it rains on the just and the unjust, but automatically the, the natural thing to do is to say, okay, somebody must have messed up and really ticked God off, right? But listen to what it says. And his disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And I want to tell you, Joy even said, honey, if it says something negative, I can't read on. I said, no, 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 listen to what it says. Or his parents. Jesus answered, neither. Say neither. neither. Say neither. This man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know how the works of God were revealed in this blind man? God healed him. Jesus healed him right there. It started a dumpster fire. You need to read it whenever you get home. Every one of these passages, I'm asking you, uh, whenever you get home today, read the surrounding verses, because I'm just kind of hitting the pinnacle verse. But we looked at that, and we realized, and I want to tell you what we ended up saying was this. You know, God, if we live on this split second that we call earth, okay, our life on earth, and we live to be 100, it's like a split second compared to all eternity, and just one more person comes to Christ as a result of having, Hannah having Down syndrome, and then we all go to heaven forever and ever and ever and ever, that's a pretty stinking good deal. 
And I'm telling you, multiple have come to Christ as a result of that little girl's life. So I used to always say, it'll be so incredible to stand at pulpit after pulpit and say, they thought our little girl had Down syndrome. We had an eight-day waiting period. Our little girl does not have Down syndrome. Our God is so faithful. But I found out that it's been a greater honor to say they thought our little girl had Down syndrome. Our little girl, after an eight-day waiting period, our little girl does have Down syndrome. And our God is so faithful because I can tell you what we perceive to be good news or what we perceive to be bad news is never a test of his faithfulness and God was so faithful but that verse bailed our hearts out do we understand the importance here we have a book that's inerrant and infallible it's straight from God for us and if I'm not careful I'm going to get so busy are you ready for this doing ministry that I don't even crack it. If we want to have passionate times of worship and song and worship and preaching and teaching in this place on Sunday, if we want to have passionate times together on Wednesday night, we need to spend time in this book on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now listen, don't let the enemy beat you up if you miss a couple days. At least the goal should be more days than not. But I'm telling you, we need to be in this book because God, you know, I found out that whenever we started doing this, our life became frothy and fair and we never had another problem. No. Say no. Say no. No. I mean, there's days that we just cry our eyes out. But I'm telling you, we, we, life is not about 365 days in a year, 366 this year, right? Life is about moments. Man, God comes through at the moment. And this book answers everything. Heard a guy say not too long ago, it's better to have some of the questions than all the answers. We've got all the questions, I'm telling you. This book really does have the answers. There's times I'll read something 80 times, and, on, and for some reason, after reading this book for 37 years, I'll read something, come across it on the 81st time, and it speaks to me in a way like it's never spoke to me before. Because this book is alive. He'll never add a chapter or a verse or a word or, word or a letter to it. It's complete. <laughs> but I'm telling you within it, he'll continue to speak to our heart. The third thing that took place in our life, I want you to look at Matthew. <clears throat> I think it's verse 6, 8. But I want you to, we're going to go and pull it up and listen to what it says. Okay? Therefore, do not be like them. Now, again, I hope you read on each side of this. The them he's talking about, he's talking about prayer in this chapter. And Jesus is talking about prayer, and he's talking about the Pharisees who stand out on the street corner and pray these loud, you know, lofty prayers for the sake of people looking at them, okay? And that's who he's saying, don't be like them. And then right after this, he introduces what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray like this. So read it whenever you get home. But here's the pinnacle verse. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. Isn't that crazy? God already knows exactly what I need before I even go to my knees and beg him. He knows what I need. Now, I'm going to tell you, I was in a study with a guy, a friend of mine, who's written a lot of books on prayer, and here's one of the things that he brought me to, and, and he, he encouraged me to do something that has, has changed my life in so many ways. I'm still a mess, but I'm telling you, it's changed my life in so many ways. See, I used to begin the day by saying, God, who does joy need me to be today? for her. Who does Isaiah need me to be, be today for her? Michaela, Josiah, Hannah, Noah, we pray down the list. We have five kids. 
But after coming across this passage, I changed that prayer. And I begin to say, instead of God, who does joy need me to be for her today? I begin to say, God, who do you need me to be for joy today? Now, hear me. God, before I was praying it that way, didn't go, well, you didn't say the right words. You left two out, so I'm not going to tell you how to be a dad. I'm not going to tell you how to be a husband. Of course, it wasn't that he needed to hear that. I needed to hear myself say those words. God, who do you need me to be for my bride today, for our kids today? And just one example of him answering that, what I used to do is I would start the morning that way, and it was before we had these little phones that we could put something in our notes, and so I carried this little cool flip-over, tiny, looked like I was a spy, notebook, are you tracking with me, okay, and an ink pen, and on the morning, there was never a time that he said, here's what Joy needs, here's what Isaiah, Michaela, Josiah, Hannah, no, there weren't enough hours in the day, but inevitably, it'd be maybe two on the list that needed something. I'll give you an example. Just that impression in my heart. I've never heard God speak to me in an audible voice. I've heard testimony as such. I have no issue with that. Never happened that way with me. But it's that gut feeling. It's that urgency in your life. And we need to recognize that voice, amen? And, uh, and so I tell you, the urgency in my life would be something like this. Tonight, you need to go home and cuddle with Hannah and watch a 20-minute cartoon. Now, you're saying you're literally such a man that you got to remind yourself and write it down to cuddle with your daughter or with your wife? Yes. Everybody say yes. Now, somebody over here said that a little too loud, but anyhow, I'm just saying. I'm telling you. And so I would jot it down that morning. And that night whenever I pulled in the driveway, I'd pick up that little secret spy notebook and I'd go, why did God speak to me this morning? And I would go in and, and cuddle with Hannah for 20 minutes and watch a cartoon. Just her and I, where she knew that she had dad time, okay? So I would do that. Well, one of those times, I was preaching a series of meetings, a revival, if you would, in a church in Kansas City. It was a Sunday morning through Wednesday night. It was Wednesday morning, and I was saying, God, who do you need me to be for joy today? Now, I want to tell you this. I've only done this once in 30 years of marriage, okay? So don't hear me say I'm some kind of romantic. Joy deserves me to be, and I should be, but I'm not. Uh, Say once. That's in 30 years. Matter of fact, you're going to hear here in a little bit that Michaela, our oldest daughter, was... 11 whenever this happened. She's 26 now. So one time, 15 years ago, in our 30-year marriage, I've done once. So say once. Okay, should be more romantic. I'm not. But anyhow, here's what God told me to do. He said, I want you to write a letter to your wife. Now, if you ever see my handwriting, it needs like, I should be a doctor, okay? And I don't know spelling. Sorry, went to Sullivan Public School. They were great teachers there. The Kellers came in like two years after I left. I want you to know that, okay? It was their first assignment, I think, and I just left the place like a tornado. But anyhow, (laughs) he heard the story, so, but we'll just stop him all right there. So anyhow, I can tell you, though, that in my handwriting that looks like I should be using a fat crayon... I just poured my heart out on what she meant to me, and that's what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. And so I folded it up, I got an envelope, I put a stamp on it, I addressed it, and then that night, it was Wednesday morning that I did that, Wednesday night, after the, the last evening of that revival meeting, uh, I said to the pastor, hey, I need to mail a letter, where's the nearest post office or mailbox drop or something? He told me on the way out of town, I dropped it in the mailbox. Now, I was going to be home in four hours. So I knew I was going to beat the letter home, but I just felt like that's what the Lord wanted me to do. 
So now it's the following Saturday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we're going to Six Flags. The whole family's in the van. We're backing out of the driveway. And Joy does something that she never does. She said, hey, let's check the mail. Now, usually on the way in, she might say it, but I never remember a time before or after she ever, and I'd been so busy, I hit the ground running as soon as I got home, it didn't even dawn on me that, that something could, it's just one of those lapse of memory moments, so I stop at the mailbox, she reaches out, she uh, gets the mail out, and then we're driving out of the subdivision, she's going through the letters, and she stops, and she looked at me, and she said, is this from you? And I'll be honest with you, I was ticked, and here's the reason why. I was mad at myself. I wanted her to get the letter while I was at work. You know what I'm saying? Not setting across the console, okay? And so she opens the letter. I'm driving down the road. We're one of those families with five kids that we eat out of a cooler in the parking lot of Six Flags. Can I get an amen? Okay? And so I stop, and she still, she would go, why did I have you inside? Because I went and got a bunch of little Debbies, of course, uh, oatmeal cream pies, that's oatmeal, I, it's in the word, it's in the title, uh, and I loaded it in the cooler, a couple cheap drinks, stuff like that, we get in the van, and whenever I got in the van, I put the foot on the brake, put it in reverse, looked in the rear view mirror uh, as I was backing out, and Michaela was in the very back seat, she was 11 years old, it's our 26 year old daughter, and, uh, and so I could see her face, she was in the very middle, and she was crying, and I remember looking over at Joy, and I said, Michaela get in trouble? And she said, oh no, I let her read the letter. And here's what happened. Because of that moment of listening to God, all of a sudden I realized I had an 11-year-old princess in the back of that van that was 100% convinced that her daddy was head over heels in love with her mother. And I'm telling you, whenever we ask God who he needs us to be, who he needs us to be, the reward is second to none. This alive book of absolute truth addresses everything in our life. Everything in our life. And God already knows what we need. Worst day of joy in my life, and it brings us to the fourth verse, was uh, January 7th of 2021. And you all already know I talk about it a lot. It was 5.04 p.m., I always look at my watch when we're getting ready to get bad news. That was the same time that in 2001, on August 2nd, we heard about Hannah having Down syndrome, 5.04 p.m. And it was a reminder of me of, of God's faithfulness. But this tall, skinny doctor came walking into our hospital room. He's one of our closest friends today. We'd never seen him before. And he sat down beside us, and he told us that Hannah had acute leukemia. And I told him, I said, Doc, I'm the guy that has to ask the questions that I don't want to hear the answers to, but you gotta, you got to come clean with me. What are we looking at here? And I'm telling you, the odds he gave us were bleak. They were horrible. A lot of it because she had a compromised immune system because of the Down syndrome. A lot of it because of the side effects. Usually not the leukemia that'll get them. It's her white count bottoming out. Common cold to come in. Going to septic shock. We almost lost her four times that way. You know, as high as her white count had already gotten, which she'd never seen it that high in her life. We caught it early, but because of the compromised immune system, it was just eating her life. All these different things that he was sharing. It was the worst day of her life. Now, Joy, it was during COVID. She was able to get into the room from the get-go. It took me two days to talk my way in. 
Uh, they weren't letting two parents in at that time. And they let me in on day two. And it wasn't 20 minutes later that this doctor walked in and broke the news. So the next 38 days, we stayed in that little room with Hannah. And during one of those days, Roger sent me a text. He did multiple times. But one of them had Exodus twenty twenty one, And I want you to listen to what this says. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Sometimes we think whenever we're in a lighter time of life, we see God. But God's not in the dark areas. Listen, Moses drew near to the thick darkness because you know who he knew who was going to be in there? God. And I can't tell you how many times. And again, whenever you get home, read what went on around there. But man, God is in the most difficult, the, the, the thick darkness. There's been at least 10 friends that I pass that on to whenever they're in the middle of the worst day of their life. And words can't fix things. This thing with Hannah wasn't okay, and it'll never be okay. But God got us through. And God was right there in the middle of the thick darkness waiting for me to bury my face in his chest and just cry my eyes out. He was there for joy. He was there for our kids. Look, the point is, small group Bible study and just Bible study in general, the more of this book we get in our heart, the more, I don't even want to standing. There are things we just don't understand. It's beyond us. But I'm telling you, God will move and he'll nudge your precious heart. And he'll teach you things that you'll learn no other way. Now let's talk about for a moment doing this in a small group. Because whenever we do it in a small group, here's what we find out. You add a community. You add friendships. You add a fellowship. And these fellowships don't just happen whenever you're in the classroom in this building. They go to people's homes. And they go out and eat and they do life together. And whenever one person goes down, the whole room goes down to their knees. Because they love you. Now look, I, I get it. It's easier, and I'm not saying this is anybody's heart in this room. But it's easier to come into a room this size and a group this size than actually be in a room with 10 people or a room with 30 people that can be a lot more intimidating. Matter of fact, some of our Sunday school classes look a little bit like a sardine can because we've had some great growth. You might not want to set that close to somebody. I'm telling you, if you give it a shot, you'll want to the next week. But here's what our Sunday school teacher and our Bible study leaders know. They will never call on a new face like to close in prayer. You don't have to worry about that. They're not going to do that to you. Sometimes, see here, here's the thing really kind of all I do is talk. I just blab. That's enough over there on that side. I'm not even going to look at you. <laughs> but the people that run deep, they don't talk a lot. They run deep. You might be someone that says, I'm begging you, don't call on me to pray. That doesn't mean you love God less. It's okay. 
You might be somebody that says, if somebody ever says, what do you think God means through Paul in verse 17? What do you think about it? And you get called on. That will not happen. Our teachers don't do that. Not with people that they don't know already is saying, yeah, I'd like to close in prayer. Or I want to be asked those questions. It's a great discussion. And it's a discussion that is completely fine to even remain silent in and learn from. And, and, and make friendships. Because they do life together. And there's nothing more powerful than that small group. Thank God for coming in several hundred on one for 75 minutes with worship and word. But it's not discipleship at its best. It's just not. Man, discipleship at its best a lot of times comes down to the one-on-one or the private time whenever you're in your prayer closet with this book and nobody else or in a group of 30 people in a room because you do life together. Speaking of doing life together, Josh mentioned it during the welcome. We're going to have a prayer vigil, 24-hour prayer vigil, this Friday. Say Friday. Friday. And Saturday. Say Saturday. Saturday. That's March 1st and 2nd. We're going to go from 7 p.m. on Friday. Say Friday. Friday. To 7 p.m. on Saturday. Say Saturday. Saturday. So 24 hours. We're going to bookend it. We're going to be together the first four hours of the 24-hour time frame, and we're going to be together here the last four hours of the 24-hour time frame. So from 11 p.m. this Friday, or from 7 p.m. this Friday to 11 p.m. this Friday, we'll meet here in this auditorium. And we'll do the same thing from 3 to 7 to end it. Now I'll tell you what happens between there in a moment. But what we're going to do is we're going to start with a cleansing time. This is where you can come in privately and silently between the Lord, we'll walk through a piece that would just allow us to get ready to pray. We'll probably end up praying at every pew and every chair in this auditorium at one point. And you'll just go off, scatter out by yourself and just pray with what God has on your heart. We're gonna walk this campus at one point. You know why we do that? Because whenever I'm walking and I go by a room like our maintenance office, It reminds me to pray for those men that I go, how in the world do they keep a plant this size together? We need to pray for them. Whenever we go into our gym, we'll remember to pray for those that use the walking track and for their health. We'll remember to pray for Awanas that are there on Wednesday night. We'll remember to pray for our youth and go into that room. We'll remember to pray for our homeschool that comes in and uses that gym once a week. We'll remember to pray for people that we might not remember if we just stay in one room. We're going to walk the entire campus. We'll see on the outside every Sunday school class that meets, who their teachers are, all that kind of stuff. We're going to spend time praying from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. on Friday, say Friday, and then we'll close out together from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Saturday, say Saturday, And here's what's going to happen in between. There's a sign-up sheet right out here on what we call the activity center. It's a countertop just right through this door. And we're not asking people to put their names down, not that you'd be ashamed to put your name down. We're just asking for you to put a check mark by a time that you'd be willing to set your alarm, wake up and pray. Are we asking you to pray for the entire hour of, say, 3 a.m. to 4 a.m.? No, you can. But what we're shooting for is that at least... Every hour on the hour, somebody is praying, even if that's for five very intentional minutes. And what are you going to pray for? Whatever God would lay on your heart. You might know somebody that's fighting an illness, and you want to pray for them by name. You might want to pray for our church campuses or our future, uh, you know, plants. Just whatever God lays on your heart. 
Now, the reason why we're doing check marks is because I noticed there's some multiple check marks on one line, and that's great. More, the more the merrier, right? I didn't look after the last hour, but it's about full because that's who this church is. If we ever get proud of it, it's over, right? But to set your alarm at 1 a.m. and say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. And you pray for however long God has you praying and then go back to sleep. But we're going to do that this Friday and Saturday. And we're going to ask God to do, look, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will work wonders among you. We're going to do this to say, God, will you do what only you can do? He's been doing that for a while at the Ridge Church, hasn't he? Church has a great history. And again, it's all him. It's all him. I've heard stories of 38 years ago of the power of God in this place. I jumped on a moving train about six and a half years ago in this place. And so we're going to do that together. But I want to ask you, would you consider, if you're not in a Small group Bible study. That could be Sunday morning and Sunday school. If you have any questions about when people meet and where they meet. And by the way, you can go to one class. And it's kind of like whenever you're looking for a church. You can walk into a great church. But for some reason, you're just not home there. And maybe it's the fourth church you walk in. And it's no better, no worse. But you just know you're home. Have you ever been there, right? Same way with Sunday school classes. If you go into one one week and check out another one next week, nobody's going to be offended with that. You just land where the Lord wants you to land. But I want you to consider, Wednesday night's another great opportunity. There's other evenings that we have Bible studies through the course of the week. Nowhere in the scripture does it say it has to be 9.30 on a Sunday morning. But I wonder if we just ask God, if we're not already plugged into one small group Bible study, whether that be Sunday school class or whatever, God, where would you have me plug in? We've got Sunday school classes meeting this hour as well because uh, we outgrew the 9.30 hour. So would you pray about that? But more than that, I wonder if we'd make a fresh commitment, at least more days than not, to shoot for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. On our knees before holy God, spending time in this perfect, pure book.